If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these glass guys are going to give you one. I want to remind you because it's sneaking up on us quickly. It is upon us school starting again. Some of you are parents probably excited about that when it went down. I know teachers, some students may not. But the reason I bring it up, we are, um, we mentioned it last week, we're trying to collect back to items, kids in Galloway. So if you'd like to bring some stuff up here, you can put it in the basket out in the lobby. We'll make sure it gets the right place. If you need specifics, maybe if your domino tell you you might want to bring. All right, how many of you have lamp in your house? That was a dumb question. I specialize. How many of you have more than one lamp? Lamp, plural, Randy. How many of you have a lot of lamps? How many of you have a lava lamp? Ah, the hippies. Remember the first time you ever saw a lava lamp? No, I don't. All right, I want us to look at your handout. Think about lamps for a moment. We'll come right back to that. We began to look at last week at this particular joy attitude, a life of joy as a believer in Jesus Christ. The theme of the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Doesn't mean you're happy and giddy all the time. All the time means you have an inner peace. You are secure in knowing who Christ is, that Jesus is my life. I live for him and to die is gain and glory. We talked about those things. We've looked at perspective. We've looked at humility. And now we're looking at practical working out of that joy that I have and having an attitude of sacrifice, that it's a privilege, we talked about it when praying at the offering, that I get to be involved and give of resources that God has given to me, that I get to turn around and share those on behalf of others, that I can just be there for them, that I can love them, care for them, share the gospel with them, uh, physically do something. And for example, many of you gave money last to help with those, fray those funeral costs. So as we began to look at that last week, you'll notice on your handout that I, in my inimitable way, covered one point last week. Actually, I covered one bullet under one point, which was pretty good for me. So... Last week, we talked about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, working with God, that great, interesting mystery, fascinating, that God is at work in me, and I cooperate with him and let him work out what he's trying to do with me. So today, I want us to begin by focusing on the idea of being a lamp. In John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says the following. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. A man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. Hang on to that. There was a man sent from God who was John the Baptist. This man, John the Baptist, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. It's an absolutely beautiful picture of what's being said here. And it's a picture of being a lamp. I asked you a moment ago, how many of you had more than one lamp in your house? And your answer was, how many? More than one lamp. How many of you have more than one lamp and they're different? All right. For a moment, we're all lamps. Because that's exactly what's being pictured for us here by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a very significant role in the history of man and in the history of Christendom, obviously, but in the just history period, he introduced the Messiah to the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was baptizing, and Jesus came to him. You know, if you want to brag, you know, I, I baptized this guy, and I, hey, I baptized him. I mean, he, he had the incredible privilege of baptizing the Son of God. And so John the Baptist had all these people flocking to him. Now here's what he understood. John 3 has that incredible statement where he says, I must decrease. He, Jesus, must increase. That's the Christian life. Jesus must increase and Randy must fade. I want people to see in me, Christ in me, that I'm Randy Lockley, a unique lamp 
that reflects the light that is within. For example, and that's exactly talking about it in Greek. John the Baptist was not the light. Jesus was the light. John the Baptist came to bear witness of the light. One last example with the lamp in your house. How many of your lamps have light bulbs in them? I hope, hopefully all of them, if you're using them. Are the light bulbs pretty much the same? Some may be clear, some may be shaped a little different, but they're Edison bulb, electricity. They're bulbs. You put them in, you flip the switch, or you push the button, or you might have the, this, whatever you do. Your light comes on. The bulbs, the light is the same in all of them. But the lamps are, that's you. Look at the person on your left. We did this last week so much. Look at the person on your left and say to them, you are a lamp. Take the person on your right, say to them, you are a lamp. Now turn around and say to the person behind you, you are a lava lamp. Just for my edification, how many of you have no idea what a lava lamp is? I'm impressed. Don't lie like that. You still got one at your house. I know you. Lava lamps are cool. Every one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ is like John the Baptist. God has sent us this moment in time to be a lamp to reflect the light that's within me and shed light on those that are around Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now, for that to happen, i got to turn on the light. i got to let that light do its job. So we're going to begin today in John chapter 2 and verse 14. How do you practically work that out? That sacrifice so that I can be the unique. See, I, I am me. I'm unique. Talked about this before we wrapped up last week. You're unique. You're a lamp. It's the same Holy Spirit that ministers in each of our lives and in our corporate midst to be the light, the church. We have individual little lights. This little light of mine don't make me sing. I'm going to let it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Am I going to put it under a bushel? Very good. All right. I'm going to let it shine. We are going to let the light shine. We are the body of Christ corporately. Individually, we are believers. We're bricks in that great spiritual house that God is building. And I want to be the best lamp I can be as I work God, working with me, reflecting the light that's within me. And so it begins, John, the next thing says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul writes these words. Well, do all things without complaining and disputing. Or if you have other translations, say without grumbling and complaining, without arguing. Let's walk through this because this is how the sacrifice begins to work out. So you see what Paul is getting at as he writes to believers at Philippi. Remember, he's under house arrest expecting to go on trial before Nero and expecting to die. And he writes to them this epistle to encourage them to rejoice in their circumstances. So he says to them, all right, this attitude of sacrifice is going to work with God. The next thing is you're going to work with fellow believers. It begins, as, as uh, another apostle writes, judgment begins with the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are God's dwelling. He is in our midst. And so we have to examine ourselves, look at ourselves individually and corporately. And we have to work with each other to be the light and the lights, the lamps that are reflecting the light within. We can be everything God wants to be. Attitude, joy attitude of sacrifice. And it begins with working with each other. Verse 14. When you read verse 14, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. The little phrase, do all things, is the emphasis in the Greek structure of the verse. In other words, he's saying this is the most important thing to get, is that everything you do as a believer in the midst with each other needs to be done from this perspective. Number one, do it without complaining. If we just stopped right there, the church would be much better off if we do that one thing. You know what? Just stop, just stop complaining. Doesn't mean you're going to like everything. I don't like everything my wife fixed to eat. She's not in here, is she? But I eat it, most of it. She puts Brussels sprouts in front of me, then I pray. Or I try to hide them. 
I don't like everything that goes on. Even at, I work here and I don't like everything that goes on. How do we interact with each other? Couldn't get to why this is so important. But we do it all without complaining. And I love the word complaining Greek. This is an emotional word. It's a private word. Here's what it means. It means guttural muttering. I love that. That's one of those onomatopoeia things. It sounds like what it is. Guttural muttering. It's like you're talking behind somebody's back. Like, mm. And it means you go behind my back and gutterly, gutterly. I like that. That's, you gutterly mutter about me. Or about somebody else, or something going on, something that you just don't like. Instead of going to a person trying to straighten it out, you go to somebody else and say, or you go to them and say, look, I'll tell you something. When in reality, you pray about it. Why do you want to tell them? You want to gossip. It's kind of like you want to just stick that knife a little bit, gutterly, that's our word, mutter about them, and then leave because you planted a, a flourish, didn't it? A grow, or a little cancer because you stabbed that. And it doesn't have to be leadership. One of the reasons this is such a passion for those of us that it happens. If you're the person up front, it'll take a lot to understand. It comes with it. It's not always that. It can be about the person sitting or that lava lamp behind you. It could be that person. And here's what the idea is, is that something inside really dis about, about something. Keep it in. It's mutter behind their back, other. And rather than going to bring it out, what the Bible says, you mutter behind. Secondly, do, do all things without disputing. Without disputing, this is a great word. This is more of a public thing. This is more of an intellectual response to something as opposed to emotion. We get our word, our English word dialogue from our English word dialogue. And here's what it means specifically in Greek. It's two things. One, instead of just talking behind somebody's back, you take them to court. Especially America now, we love to sue. I'm suing somebody this week. Just, I don't know who yet, so straighten up. We love to sue. And here's where the idea with this word, even when you know you're wrong, you don't want to what? Admit it. You'd rather dialogue about it, rather question the truth of a matter that's word, rather than saying that's the, kind of like, yeah, don't get the truth. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. Don't confuse the word. I'd rather dialogue about it, talk about it. Let's go to court over it. Let's stretch it all out. Publicly embarrassed. One's private muttering behind back, either taking someone publicly. And notice how the verse begins again. What's the emphasis of the verse in Greek? Do all things without complaining, without disputing. How much better off would church be? Yesterday, yesterday, I'm talking to old that I haven't seen. I haven't seen regularly. Years ago, we went and I saw a number of them yesterday. And they're involved in a church really going through a hard time. because They're past the mother. And a lot of it, they were not doing this. And it has a passage. Just, what did James say about the tongue when he wrote? He said, it's set on fire. Pretty strong language. Set on fire by hell. Speak it in love. Don't publicly, man. So he says, do all things. Remember, we're working with fellow believers here. Don't miss that. So verse 14, what you see is... The idea of don't complain. For example, the children of Israel. God miraculously delivers them from Egypt, right? If you read the story, it's pretty incredible what God did, right? They leave Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. What are they doing? Complaining. What does God do for them? He parts the Red Sea. Pretty cool. Let's them walk across on dry land. So they end up complaining. At Moses is on, on Mount Sinai getting the law from God. And what are they doing at the foot of the mountain? Moaning, complaining, muttering, gutterly, saying, you know, we were better off where? Back in Egypt, bonded. We were better off back there. And so they build themselves an idol, a golden calf, to lead them backward, back to sin, back to bondage, back complaining and moaning against God and Moses the whole time. So they end up wandering in the wilderness. So we don't have enough to eat. God gives them manna. They walk out on the ground and they pick up bread to eat. That's pretty cool, right? And what's their response? Remember? Complain, but it wasn't meat. Constantly complaining. God is there for them. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, wrote the words. Those complain first in our churches who have the least to do. 
The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents or who keep what talents they have wrapped up. If you're doing a whole lot of time to complete, what is it God wants from you? Second point, starting at verse 15, the positive, working with non-believers. Here's the reason God has us. We have to be willing to sacrifice in our own midst, the church, with fellow believers so that we can be. This is one of the most powerful verses I believe in the Bible. Why we God says, I have you here for a reason. Work with each other without complaining and disputing so that you can do this. Look at verse 15. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. Remember the lamp metaphor. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul speaking obviously the end about self. We have to be willing to sacrifice amongst ourselves in the church so that we could be as the church everything God wants us to be in the midst notice the way he puts in the midst of a what crooked perverse generation God has us here to shine to be that lamp fleck the light of individually and corporately for the church to be everything God wants to be we've got to number one work with each other so that we can go out in the world and be everything God wants to be who was the very first complainer on planet earth who was it be too hard to pick. Wasn't your wife? No. It was Adam. Really? We'll blame it on Eve. I love the story in the Garden of Eden. It's so us. Adam eats the fruit. Original sin has hit us. God shows up. And what does Adam say? The woman you gave me. And we've been saying that ever since, haven't we, men? The woman you gave me. He blamed God. By the way, if you read earlier, when God gave him Eve, what was his response? It was, woohoo, dog. That's what I need. And then when he sins, he ate the fruit. He blames and God. And it ever since. So what we have to understand is we have a special call in our lives. We are the church called out ones. Ecclesia. We are God chosen instrument to shine as light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's what it means in verse 15. Look at it again. That you may become. In Greek, that means you may prove yourself over and over again. The way we do that, it begins the church. You do all without complaining. and Then we go out into a world that is crooked, perverse, or different. They know we gen Russell Sharon. We're so blessed. We really care about each other. We love. Complaining, we don't have. I'm telling you, in our great city, God is blessed. Have we had it in the past? Yeah. I worked 30 years. Very good times, and there's been lies that are it hurts you know why it really hurts it's not it hurts first you get past what it really hurts is when you're hurt if you're a past you see people hurt and they're at odds with you and then the world sees it. and the world sees christians can't even get along with each other and what's the world's response i told you they're full of hypocrites i told you we didn't they're not any better than we are why we want to hang out there we have to understand the special call whatever you for a living whoever you are as a human being the highest call on your life is i am a christian I am a Christ follower. I am a child of one God. Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're a pastor. Maybe, maybe you own your own company. Maybe you work for like gas and water. Maybe police department, fire department. Wherever you are, wherever God places you every day, you're, you're a parent. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, the highest call in your life is not husband. It's not father. It's not friend. I am a Christ follower. So the next point then, here's what you focus on. Working with the, the non-believer. Go out in the world and you're with people who aren't Christian. First thing, God wants you to be blameless. And that means without blemish or defect. You may become, but you may become. As God works in you, work with each other, we encourage each other, we pray for one another, we support each other, so that we go out in the world and we're affected. The first thing is being blameless. That means without blemish or defect. And the idea is that you live above justifiable criticism. Are you perfect? 
No, you're not. But the idea is you don't want to give someone the opportunity to point at you and say, Randy's my reason that I reject Christ. He's a Christian. He's a pastor. Look at him. You deal with your imperfection, confess your imperfection, you're honest about your imperfections, and you let God use your repentance. When you're not, when you make a mistake, you admit it, you own up, to, you confession, both to God. If I, if I offend Emily, sweetest lady I know, if I offend Emily, I've offended God, and I've offended her, right? So God expects me to do what? Confess it to him, and what? Confess it to her. Apologize to her. If I publicly offend her, like I'm doing right now, then God would expect me to publicly say, Emily, I'm sorry. Man, it's hard for us to do this. But what a testimony to do that because the world doesn't expect, the world expects yourself that it's all about you. And what you're saying is a Christian, no, it's not all about me. It's about you. I want you to, I'm sacrificing whatever I've got to be slight for you, to you. Second thing is you want to be harmless. And that word means innocent, not mixed foreign matters. It's a great word in Greek. And the idea that we use in Greek for a couple of things. For example, if you had wine, you really wanted it to be pure. You didn't mix anything into it. That's the word that's harmful, that it, that it was absolutely nothing, nothing mixing with it. If, if you had metal, you didn't pour it, you didn't alloy it with anything. It was absolutely pure, that metal. I'll give you a great example of the Bible. One of my favorite, probably my favorite Old Testament character in all the Bible, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel went from, as a young man, about 15 years old, and when uh, Babylon sacked Jerusalem and began, the, came to be known as the Babylonian captivity, 605 B.C., Daniel was taken captive along with, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were Babylonian. All these young men taken from Jerusalem, Judea, Judea that surrounding area, they were taken to Babylon in captivity. 15 years old. And all these young men were taken into the palace to be indoctrinated into because they were the intelligent young men in Daniel chapter 1. And they took all the sharp, intelligent ones and brought them into the palace to indoctrinate them, to brainwash them, to be Babylonians and to serve Nebuchadnezzar. What you see for seven years in the book of Daniel is Daniel rising above the fray, honoring God, living for God, refusing to compromise the Babylon. He became the most powerful man in the world, king after Nebuchadnezzar and the rise of Belshazzar. Four different kings, seven years. He was the second most powerful man in the world because the compromise relationship. And in one case, really interesting. Daniel's enemies, all the other wise men in the kingdom were his enemies. This is Hebrew doing. He was their boss. And so they had the king pass law that if you bowed down to anyone other than the king, statue, you were to kill. Because they knew Daniel wouldn't do what? He wouldn't bow down to the idol. To make a long short, these guys together now, paraphrase, they get together and here. We can't find any convict unless figure out something. He was such a character. They couldn't find anything in him. He wasn't perfect, obviously. Couldn't find anything to take to Daniel. So we got to find something. That's the pick. That's the kind of life. That's the way I'm shines. And we're never going to get him unless we get him that way. Work non-believer. Look at verse, the end of verse 15. Children of God without fault, where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine lights. This means, again, above criticism, above legitimate criticism. I really want you to understand this principle because it's so important. God takes us. Why was I born in 1950? I don't know. When God decided it's time for Randy to hit and the planet's not been the same ever. Elvis and me. But this moment in time, and then one day he'll take me home. My moment in this space and time will be over, and I'll go to eternity where there is a home. My daddy says, for all of us, in the middle of, and he wrote this 2,000 years ago. It was a crooked and perverse generation then. And Nero, do we live in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation today? We sure do. It's relevant. He took us. Whatever age you are, if you're born again, he's placed right now, this moment in time, to be that light. Look at the beginning of verse 16, how it works. How do you be the light? Holding fast the word of life. That's one of, I want to work the phrase and stop today. Holding fast the word of life in the midst. So I want you to shine as light. So that word means a luminary, radiating truth. 
holding fast the word of life. In the context of this passage, two things that stop today. The word of life is Christ. John tells us in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Christ. This very book, the word of life is Christ. So here's, and, and the, the, the word there, fast, has two meanings. We get the two meanings and then we're going to stop today and share communion. Because it's exactly how our lives work. We hold fast, but it also means, in Greek, we hold forth. Do you see the picture? If I'm going to be the light shining in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that God wants me to be, it's the first thing I got to do. I got to hold fast Jesus. For me to be pure, for me to be harmless, for me to be above that criticism, I've got to be strong in Jesus Christ. But then, that's not good enough. That's who I've got to be. And what I got to do is then hold that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. I hold fast to him, and then I hold him full. You see the picture? I grow in Christ. I become more like Christ. And then I share that Jesus, what a light does. We work together. And then we work with non-believers, see that light. And then the next thing, this next, we wrap it up. We work with other greats like Paul. A couple examples. It's we share that light in the world. For that work, we've got to have an attitude of sacrifice. It is not about me. It's about God working. He working it out. Would you bow your heads? Father, we pause before you as God. Not just God, but our God, our Father, our Dad. Lord, we as believers, we want to be the lamps we need to be. Reflecting the lights within us. The world will see it, be drawn to it, want to be part of our midst. Want to be part of a group where they're loved because they're there. For no other reason. It will be real, be genuine, not hypocritical, not perfect, but real, genuine. We'll be lights, lamps, reflect the lights within us. I pray that for every believer here. And Lord, even as we go into a time of the Lord's Supper, that that's what we would do. Reflect on that light. Am I letting that light shine? What am I doing to bar, to bar the light from shining? Barrier have I put up that I will take down? We'll be willing to sacrifice that barrier. Get rid of it so the light can. I pray that for every Lord of non-belief, that they'll see that light. They'll be drawn to the light, Christ, and say to him, Lord, thank you for dying. Forgive me. Save me.